2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, Paul writes this. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So when we're talking about rising above our senses, it's a really broad topic. But I, I want to just preface what I, what I bring out from the Scriptures this morning by saying that you are constantly processing information. Your mind, your mind heart, I'm not going to go out of my way to divide those two today, though they are distinct, but your, your inner faculties are constantly being influenced by information and events that are coming to you, you process them a lot through your senses. It's not just about a fragrant smell or a beautiful vista that we see or a, an, an awesome uh, harmony that we might hear with our ears or, or even, you know, sitting down to a wonderful meal that we taste. When I'm, speaking, not, when I'm speaking of our senses, I'm also talking about some intangible things, things that we intuit, things that we discern, things that we feel. A lot of what I say today is going to come to the place of dealing with us and our feelings. And although it risks sounding like kind of a self-help thing, I, I need to show you in the Scripture that frequently God's Word will talk to us about our minds, which are connected to our emotions, and so much of, of, of popular Christian thought in the last hundred years divorces the revelation of Scripture away from uh, our, our senses and even our bodies. We, we just want to be all spirit, and yet, yet we see throughout Scripture that we're body, soul, and spirit. There are intangibles. And the Lord is interested in the full redemption of us. He, he wants to redeem every bit of us. So even at the end of the age, He says, I'm actually going to give you a new body. That's how interested the Lord is in the holistic redemption of His people. And, and I don't know about you, I think we're living in some times where, depending on w what you're giving your mind and your heart to, your senses might be under a lot of stress right now. Uh, I, I'm sensing it when I'm getting with Christians. I sense a lot of tension and fear. And, and I'm, I, I'm purposely battling it myself. And I'm, I'm thinking we're all pretty much the same when it comes to living life on planet Earth. We are, we are drawn by the same things at times. We're pressured by the same things. And nothing much has changed because when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth about 2,000 years ago, do you know what he's writing in these early chapters of 2 Corinthians? He's talking about the immense struggle that he is experiencing in life. The immense struggle. Matter of fact, if you want to make a note, we're not going to get to it today, but just read chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians later today and just let him tell you about his struggle. And he was the Christian. And so, for those of you that have given yourselves uh, kind of indiscriminately to the health wealth gospel and you don't think anything ever bad happens to people that, um, uh, you know, that are walking with the Lord, you need to find a time machine, go back in time and lead Paul to Jesus because Paul was constantly experiencing trouble. And so his reality doesn't fit with this modern-day belief that if, if you're walking with the Lord, you won't experience struggle. But we do need to rise above it. So I want to talk to you about being stretched this morning. And I'll begin in verses 7 through 12, and let's just look at it when we sense we are being stretched. Stay in that chapter. And if you didn't bring a Bible, always bring one with you, whether it's on your phone or a hardback. But let's go further up into chapter number 4 of 2 Corinthians and look in verse number 7. Why does God allow hardship? That's a big question that everybody wants to know at some point in time. Why does God allow hardship? In verse number 7, he's going to give you a clue. We have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of eternal life, in jars of clay. Why? To show the surpassing power that it belongs to God and not to us. Why does God leave those of us that are born again? We're saved. 
We're forgiven. We belong to Him. We will endure with Him throughout all of the endless ages. We will be with the Son of God for all of eternity. Why doesn't He just, when we accept Him, flip the switch, take away all of the difficulty, take away all of the suffering, take away even the potential for any of those things? Why does the infinite mind of God decide that He's going to leave us in a little bit of weakness? Well, there's a long, long answer for that, but I'm going to stick to the text and just give you the summary answer. God wants you and I to know that it is always He who is the strong one and never us. Never us. And not just in spiritual things, our ministry things, our Christianized things. He's talking across the board that God has chosen the foolish of the world to make wise. He's chosen the weak to offer his strength to. He's chosen those that the world casts aside, and God chooses to bring them in. God has always sought out and revolutionized the underdog. There is something about the heart of Father God that loves the outcast, loves the weakling. Even when you see Jesus and God in flesh in the Gospels, he was not always surrounded by the strong, the impressive, As a matter of fact, those are the people that refused him. Where did Jesus spend most of his time? With the weak, with those that struggled in sin, with those that were ostracized by their fellow Hebrews, like Matthew, the traitor, those that were prone to violence, like Simon, the zealot who wanted to bring the kingdom in by force. Jesus constantly surrounded himself with confused and broken and weak people. I mean, if you were coming to start a global movement that had eternity as its trajectory, you would have not chosen the same 12 that he chose. You would not have. You, you, you and I would have gone and we would have found resumes, we would have looked at their, you know, their LinkedIn data, we would have tried to find out who they worked for in the past, let's see what kind of leadership skills they have, relationship skills, we need one that can handle money real well, we need some orators, and Jesus went out and got a ragtag, ragamuffin bunch of nobodies. And he said, I think I'll change eternity with these 12. Then when we get saved, you know what we automatically tend to start thinking because religion has its little nasty fumes in the air and we breathe in a lot of religious fumes in our churches. We start thinking, okay, now I'm saved. Jesus got it started, but now I got to be strong. So I can't be tempted again. I can't, I can't fail. I've, I, I've got to crucify my flesh, which, listen, that's a biblical principle. But, but you, you think that, okay, it's been six months since I've been saved and I still haven't walked on water yet. It's not the way it works, friends. Listen, I'm going to give you something here as we move further down into this text. It is not that God ever wants you to be so strong that you think you're strong enough not to need Him. And most of us don't get that, and so what God does is He leaves us a thorn or two, enough struggle, enough cracks in the clay pot. Why don't you say this with me by way of confession? I'm a crack pot, amen? (laughs) We all are. Why? Because it's what's inside of that clay pot that God wants to manifest and glorify. That is His presence, His grace, His mercy, His love, His inheritance. And He doesn't want to... Uh, project this impressive outside clay container uh, or ornate container, he says, I'm going to take the best that I have and I'm going to put it in something very average. The clay pots, the jars of clay were, were just ordinary. I mean, uh, you, you, they'd be like the modern day version of cheap Tupperware. They were everywhere. A little sandwich box, a little Ziploc bag, it's no big deal. It's just a, a normal everyday container. And God put all of His glorious riches in Christ inside of you, inside of me. Not so the jewels automatically make the container glorious, but that in contrast to the container, the jewels always stand as that which is beautiful, that which is perfect, and that which is glorious. Friends, I I love you, but I'm going to tell you honestly, on your best day, you're still a clay pot, and so am I. Both of us. That's just the way it is. Well, let's go further because now I've offended your pride, but stick with me because I've got good news coming. This ought, to, this ought to really alleviate some of you that think you have to hold it all together. Look in verses 8 and 9. How did Paul define our hardships? Now, here's what he's talking about. What does a cracked pot, what does a clay jar look like? He, Paul says this, we're afflicted in every way. Now, I'm going to come to the other parts of the verse too. We're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted 
but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. What you have there is an amplification of the clay pot and the treasure. The, the clay pot is this reality. We're afflicted. That, that's a word that means pressured. It means that we are stressed. That means we are experiencing intensity coming from the outside. And it feels like at times in life you can't breathe. You don't have any wobble room. There's, there's no seemingly way, seeming way to get out of what you've gotten yourself into. And Paul says we are afflicted in every way. He also says this, we're perplexed. I, I love the fact that you don't have to have all the answers. Has anybody told you that recently? Has anybody told you that you're allowed to say, hmm, I don't know, that, that you actually don't have to have all the answers? That one of the worst things that, that can happen in, in a church or in a body of believers or an individual Christian is if they feel this pressure to come up with some oiled, well-oiled Bible answer to every conundrum that is finding us in, in the kingdom. You know, the, the questions of, 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 of suffering and war and injustice and outrage and all the isms and all of the, the massive tidal waves of sin that crash on the shores of our lives. And, and sometimes we want to say to God, God, what am I supposed to think about this? Surely I can have the answer. Friends, I'm going to tell you something as, as we think about this perplexity. You and I have to learn to live with some unanswered questions and still let God be good. The fact that we can't figure some stuff out, the fact that there are some bad, bad things that go on in the world cannot dislodge our confidence. Yeah, the world is bad. It's always been since the Garden of Eden, uh, Eden and Adam and Eve falling. The, the world is bad, but God has always been good and He will ever be good. Now, are we allowed to ask the questions? We are, but this is something that many years ago, I don't even know what I was wrestling over at the time, but I remember it was consuming me. And just in a, in a time of solitude and prayer, just, God, you've got to tell me the answer. Why, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And I, I heard crystal clear, not with the ear, but with the, with the spirit, I heard the Lord say, if I told you why, it still wouldn't help you. And ultimately, I'm not asking, please explain yourself to me. What I'm really saying is, I want you to do something different than what you're doing. That's usually what comes out of us. So we get perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. I'll come back to that. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul is given the reality of the Christian life. Now, please let your Bible speak to you. So if we can say it this way, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're squeezed, but we haven't been squashed. Amen. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are questioning, but we're not catatonic and just giving up. We, we are persecuted, but not forsaken. So, yes, we are at times attacked, but we're never abandoned. And then he says this, he says, we are struck down, but not destroyed. So, we are knocked down, but we haven't been knocked out yet. And so, this is the, 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 the dynamic and the paradox of the Christian life. You, you, you're going to sense your clay potness. You're going to feel your weakness. You're going to be really aware. You're going to sense your limitations, but are you going to live by them? Are you going to say, because I am limited, I can't cross this threshold? Let me tell you what God loves to do. It's, it's, please remove this from, from your list of things that you, you and I thought were in the Bible, but actually isn't it? God will never take you, or not, God will never give you more than you can handle. He does it all the time. <laughs> he does it all the time. He does it. The goal of God for your life is not, well, I'm just going to let you handle things. The goal of God for your life is I want you and I to grow in closer and closer relational proximity from the time I save you until the time you enter into glory and then we'll start all over again. And let me just tell you, if He doesn't give you more than you can handle, you'll handle it on your own and you'll never even check in with Him. So He purposefully puts stuff on us that we can't handle. Why? So that the excellency of the treasure is of God and not of us. So what is glorious is not that, hey, we've got it all together, we've learned a few techniques, and now God got it started, but watch me, I'm going to finish this thing. No, you're not. There's never been but one closer in the kingdom of God, and the closer sits on a throne in heaven, and He is the one that will bring all things to pass. So Paul defined our hardships, and I just want to tell you, you're not imagining things if you're going through a struggle as a believer. You're not the first one, you're not the last one, and I do want to recognize that sometimes it'll blow your mind. You just won't have the answers. And it doesn't make you a sorry Christian. It just makes you a Christian. You're just one of us. There are seasons and times where the, the logic and what we sense is, and, and what we are receiving and what we are processing is just wholly inadequate.
And the fact of the matter is you have to raise your hand and surrender and just say, Lord, I don't have a clue what you're doing. I don't even know why, but I'm fighting real hard just to retain my sense that you are gloriously good and I can trust you. Go down further into verse 10. We're, we're talking about what to do when we sense when we're being stretched. Look at verse 10. Now let's bring some meaning to it so it doesn't seem arbitrary. What does God extract from our hardships? What does He extract from our hardships? Paul says this in verse 10, always carrying about in the body the death of Jesus, that's the clay pot experience, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's the inheritance. That's the, the, the surpassing power. We who, are li- we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, that's clay pot, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's the surpassing power, the glorious inheritance. Verse 12, death is at work in us, but watch this, watch what Paul says, but life is in you. All right, let's parse this out for a moment. Twice in these verses 10, 11, 12, Paul uses a a time word, an indicator. He says always. Paul's testimony is that somewhere in the process at all times for the Christian who is walking with Jesus, who is living for Jesus, there is this reality on some level that we are always going through a process of dying on some level. That we are always dying to something. Now, let's just be honest with each other right now. That's not really taught a whole lot. We have replaced that statement with the notion that if we're walking with the Lord, we're always going to be having it easy. I mean, come to Jesus and your skin will clear up and your teeth will go two shades brighter. I mean, it's that kind of, that kind of nonsense. And, and, and yet, when we're, I'm reading, in my opinion, the greatest Christian that I know of that has ever lived, Paul is saying, yeah, actually, as we are living this out and we're experiencing the reality that we're just a clay pot that has been filled with some eternal treasure, we're actually always experiencing some level of death and we carry it in our bodies. Speaking of the, the earthly life, it, he, for Paul I think it was not only physical and relational but also circumstantial. I mean, again, read chapter number 11. His, his life was just battered at times. But notice the why. He does give us some insight here. Up in verse number 7 we had the insight so that people would, that we would know along with others that the power comes from God and not us. And then we have it verse, here, uh, verse 10 here that, that we are experiencing this, that through our dying to lesser things that the actual life of Jesus might proceed out of us. It is a spiritual dynamic that when we respond appropriately to suffering and struggling and loss and pain and all of those clay pot issues, that is as we abide and trust and wait and seek and endure and persevere, and even if we don't overcome circumstantially, but we're overcoming in here, the, the reality is that the life of Jesus Christ comes through us. It comes through us. First to us, we experience His presence and power and life uh, in, in ways when we struggle and suffer that we cannot experience when everything's going peachy keen. You just miss out on some aspects of the relationship with God when you are living a life that you are purposefully making comfortable and conducive. You're insulated and isolated. Nothing can get to you because you've got this barrier and this barrier, and you've got your, 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 your little Christian cocoon, and, and you can stay there. And people live for years like that. And, and they take such great, oh, I'm safe, I'm secure because I've built up all this stuff. And they, they go to church on Sundays and praise the Lord and do some stuff. But inwardly, their cocoon is what brings them comfort. And then God ordains a time where He says, yeah, I'm actually going to get you out of the cocoon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that you're a clay pot. Brittle and easily breakable and fragile and, you know, not, I love you, but not all that amazing to the outward appearance. And, and I'm going to fill you with earth and treasure. You've been filled with that, but because you've been insulating yourself, you, you, you've given lip service to the treasure, but you've ignored the clay pot reality. And so it's when we come into contact with our fragile earthen reality, that's when we're able to say, Wow. And look at the treasure he just keeps giving. Look at what he's given to me. Look what he's doing for me. Look at how he loves me. Look at how strong he is. It's not about uh, putting a fresh coat of paint on the clay pot and polishing it up. It's about, hey, everybody, look at the treasure inside of this ordinary vessel. And that's the life that comes. Look, Paul goes on and he, he speaks more about it. In verse 11, he says, we that are living are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Paul's talking about 
not only just the spiritual aspect, but he was always under the penalty and the threat of death. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So it's the same idea, spoken slightly differently, but look in verse 12. So it is death that works in us, but life in you. Don't miss that. Paul viewed his suffering, his struggles, his weakness that he's about to expand on in a moment, he viewed it as something that was given to him by God. And when Paul had been trained by God to respond appropriately to the hardships, the pressures, the pains, and the sufferings, Paul said, it is death-like in me. But Paul was able to come out of his own little world and say, but I see it producing results in you. Paul viewed his struggle and his suffering as an opportunity or a conduit through which God might pour through his weakness and might use his weakness as the conduit to bring strength to others. How many of us say, Jeff, what does that look like? How many of us have not, pardon me, been moved when we encounter somebody, a Christian, that has endured far and above anything that we, we think that we could ever endure? Suffering and loss, pain, betrayal, abandonment, abuse, all of the horrible things that happen in this world, and yet they still continue to press into Jesus. They still continue to serve the Lord. They still make their life, part of their life priority is how can I bless and benefit others? How can I harness my pain? How can I own my suffering? How can I make my struggle work for me? into the life of another person. And when we meet people who have gone through profound tragedy and loss, and we meet them, and foremost coming through them is the life. We're saying, your life, your testimony involves a, a, a wreckage of a clay pot. This, this, and this happened to you. That's part of your experience. That's not beautiful. That's not glorious. That's not good. These awful things you've experienced and, 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 and through the ordinariness and the, the pain of life, I, I, all I do is I, I smell the fragrance of Jesus off of your life. I, I, I sense Jesus when you talk. I, when, when you serve, it's like Jesus is in the room. And the fact that you endure reminds me of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And so it's our suffering if it remains about us. And listen, I'm just getting us where we live. We're all human. I mean, I don't think anybody, I'm not at a point where, you know, if Dustin stands up next Sunday and says, hey, by the way, we've got a new and great way to suffer. If you'll sign up in the lobby, we'll make sure you participate. <laughs> I'll, I'll be on the other side of the lobby. I don't want to sign up for suffering. But I want to tell you something. If my good, trustworthy, heavenly Father allows it, don't write me emails about I said God causes suffering. Listen, I'm not going to get into that hair-splitting contest with you. What I'm saying is this. He didn't even spare his own son from suffering. Jesus didn't get a free pass on it. And you and I will not either. But what will we do with it? Because I'm not going to give an account for your suffering. You're not going to give an account for mine. But I, I want to I make it work for me according to the purposes of the Lord. So let's get down to verses 13 through 15. Here's what you gain, what we gain through being stretched. This is beautiful. This is growth. This is crossing thresholds. What we believe dethrones what we sense. Now, Paul's going to quote David from Psalm 116, around verse 10, and he says this, since we have the same spirit of faith, the same spirit that David had when he wrote, I believed and so I spoke, Paul says this, we also believe, and excuse me, yeah, we also believe and so we also speak. This is what Paul is alluding to here. By the way, go back and read Psalm 116. It was penned by David during an incredibly difficult time in his life. And David uh, centuries before had, had testified, I, I am believing, excuse me, I am communicating my core beliefs, if I can unpack it and expand it a little bit. And Paul is going to quote that Old Testament, Old Testament to us, that Hebrew verse to the church at Corinth, and he's going to say, yeah, I know what David was saying. I'm going to be connected with David on this. David, I hear you, brother. Your suffering and your endurance and you glorifying God has spoken down the centuries to my life as, as Paul the apostle. And David, guess what? I also believe, and I'm going to do like you did, I'm going to speak the truth. In other words, the suffering didn't press the mute button on their lives. 
The suffering didn't make them doubt in the dark what they believed in the light. The suffering and the struggle and the pain did not make them question the, the inherent goodness of God. And Paul was not content to sit in a room and just say to the Lord, just praying quietly to the Lord, Lord, I know you're good, I know you're good, I'm straight. And Paul, Paul didn't keep it to himself in his prayer room. Paul said, I'm on a mission. This whole, by the way, chapter number four is all about talking about what he's doing with the ministry given to him. And so in the context of struggle, in the context of suffering, in the context of his, his calling, Paul is saying here, what I believe is dethroning what I sense. And so that's a threshold that all of us must continually cross. You're going to wake up, some of you will wake up tomorrow, and for no reason whatsoever, you're going to be hit with anxiety before your feet hit the floor. You, you may be suffering night terrors. You could be just wrestling with a fair amount of dread about money or health or relationships. And all of these things come in like a tidal wave at times. I don't even always blame it on the devil. He's probably got a hand in it, but a lot of times he doesn't have to do anything. It's just us being conditioned. We're just conditioned to, to this fear. And our senses say, I'm the captain, you get in the back, I'm going to drive the ship today. And you have a choice. You literally have a choice all day, every day to say, am I going to let what I sense dethrone what I believe, or will I take authority and ownership over my own mind, my own heart, and will I dethrone what I sense by what I believe? In other words, if I believe that God is good, which I do, and I believe that God is for me, which I do, and I believe that I belong to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ, which I do, and if I believe I'm going to be with Him forever, which I do, and if I believe that He will never abandon me and He will not forsake me, which I do, then I cannot give in to the sense that I'm alone in the battle. I have to, I, somebody's got to speak to it. And, and I can't wait for some angel to descend on a harp and sing me a lovely lullaby about how trustworthy God is. I've got to take ownership over my thoughts and just say, you know what, I believe and I'm going to speak even if it's just to me. I'm speaking in that moment. Now I know that sounds like a little, Jeff, you're starting to sound like Benny Hinn a little bit there. Well, so be it. I'm just trying to sound like Paul. And, and this is not a charismatic doctrine. This is, listen, who are you going to listen to? Nobody talks to you more than you do. And if you aren't saying the right thing, and if you're letting your senses speak to you all the time, I'm telling you, you're going to get all crooked, bent, and sideways at some point. You've got you to straighten yourself out with gospel truth. So look in verse number 14. We're talking about being what we gain through being stretched. We can dethrone what we sense. You just have to begin doing it. And then the undeniable outcome mitigates the current struggle. The word mitigates just means, simply means to lessens the intensity. That's a layman's definition. So the undeniable eventual outcome lessens the intensity of your current struggle. Watch this. Paul says, I am believing what I speak and speaking what I believe, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. What is Paul doing there? Paul is keeping his eye on the goal. He is keeping his eye on the finish line. Paul is saying, I know how my story ends. It ends with me standing fully in a victory I already have with Jesus. And even says to the Corinthians who were not the finest specimens of Christians. They weren't. They were strugglers. And he says, I'm going to be there with Jesus and you're going to be there with Jesus. Paul looked through all over. He, he overshot the suffering. He overshot the struggle. He, he recognizes it. He spends a lot of time talking about it, but he doesn't let that be his anchor. He doesn't let the struggle define him. He dignifies the trial. He dignifies the suffering. He says, I can look past it. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist, but I'm going to look past it, and I'm going to say that at the end, the same one who brought the Son of God, Jesus Christ, up from the grave, he's speaking of the Father, the Holy Spirit, that Trinitarian moment of resurrection, the same one that lifted Jesus up from the greatest suffering, the greatest tragedy, the greatest injustice, the greatest rejection, the same one that lifted him up is going to lift me up too. I believe that, and I'm going to speak that. That's what he says. Now listen, I love you, and I thank God that you're, you're sensing in this moment that this is, yes, amen, hallelujah. But listen, we've got to do it. We can't just applaud it and amen it. We've got to do this. Because I don't, I mean, Paul, I'm thankful. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that he overcame, but I've got to live this life. 
I've only got one. You've only got one. And I don't want to just say, man, good for Paul. He sure did do it. Paul would shout from heaven, I'm talking to you, dummy. I want you to do it, Jeff. But it's about knowing. It's not about sensing. Notice in verse number 14. It doesn't say intuiting, sensing, or feeling that he who raised Jesus from, from the grave. It says, go on what you know. Truth. Anchored in truth. Brothers and sisters, I want to feel more. I ask God regularly. I started praying five years ago, God, I need a baptism of love. I need a baptism of love. I need a baptism of love. Because I'd gotten a little too hardcore. Struggles and difficulties and conflicts just were taking me back to a place that I, I, I kind of operated in before I was saved. I was withdrawing from people and afraid of people and just trying to self-preserve. And I recognized that. I had a few godly men speaking to my life saying, Jeff, you, this is not who God's made you to be. And so I just started praying. I didn't even know what it meant. Just, Lord, I need a baptism of love. I need a baptism of love. I read a book by my friend Billy Humphrey uh, on love. It's just a book on love, and it was just so instrumental and helpful for me. And, and, and w- what happened was this. I don't feel feelings. I don't feel as much as many of you do. I just don't. That's just not who I am. I, I may never get to that point. But I've learned not to let my feelings dominate me. Even the positive ones, I just try to stay anchored in truth. You know, we had a great time at the Thirst Service on Friday night. Let me run this rabbit trail for a moment. On uh, Friday night, we gathered over in the Youth Center, Student Center, and great time of worship, just a really free atmosphere in there. Um, Pastor Dustin did most of the coordinating. The band just, I, I felt, did a, a really good job. It was just, it was so funny. You'd think that would be like a real young service. That's our millennial service. I don't know that there were five millennials in the whole room. It was pr- primarily, the band was pretty much millennial, w- with exception for the one guy, <laughs> Glenn, who is our worship leader. But the band was primarily millennials. But most of us in the audience were Gen Xers or above. And the, the, God just started moving. But at the end of the service, um, I just got a case of about, for about 10 minutes of I can't help it and I don't want to. So the Holy Spirit just liberated me and it came out vocally and dancing and shouting and just so energized. And at the end of the service, we had a first-time guest. A guy stopped by for the first time. He was 20-something. He'd been in ministry in other places. And he was talking to me and Dustin had referenced the, the history of New Bridge where uh, um, an Assemblies of God Church cornerstone merged with a Baptist church, Meadow, and Dustin referenced that very briefly. So this guy pulls me off to the side, and he had been watching the whole service, and Dustin had been on the stage with the Bible and telling us decently, you know, I'll do all things decently in order. I don't know if I broke that commandment or not, but forgive me, Lord, if I did. But um, the, 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 the thing was is Dustin was using the Word and leading and shepherding us, and I was just off in a corner having a great time. So this guy gets me and goes, hey, man, what possessed you to merge with this Baptist guy? I just thought that was so cool. It has nothing to do with my sermon, but (laughs) I guess the point was is sometimes, you know, I want to experience and express more of my faith, but sometimes the feelings aren't there at all. Does it help you to know that there are days where I do not feel anything spiritually? Those days are few and far between, but I'd be lying to you if I said every day I'm just surging with spiritual uh, you know, whatever. It's, it's just not true. There are days where I feel less than saved, but I don't let that control me. Why? Because I know that the one that brought Jesus up from the grave is the same one that is in the process of raising me up and crossing thresholds with me, and he's just not going to stop. He's too good to ever quit on you and on me. So go down to verse 15. My time's almost gone. An exalted view of suffering breeds endurance. Wow. God, get us to this point, please. It is all for your sake, Paul says, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now, don't just read that and walk away. You've got to remember, when, when a verse, a passage, every word of God is given intentionally And the potential is for us to learn something here. And so when Paul's talking about the suffering, the death that precedes the resurrection, the being afflicted and persecuted and cast down, and all that junk that we work like fire to avoid, well, this is what he's saying. Paul has now got an exalted view of it. 
I don't know if he got it right away or if it took years or what, but he's saying, now I see it's all for your sake. Who's he talking to? The church at Corinth. Paul viewed his suffering as not primarily being about him, but primarily being about the glory of God and secondarily being about others. Perhaps tertiary may be about him, but, but it's first the Lord, secondarily, how is this going to be used to help other people? Now, friends, that's huge. That's a threshold. Do you see what I'm saying? This is not a casual series. You know how hard it is to say? For one, we, we don't even like to accept any level of suffering. We, we automatically blame the devil for all of it. And listen, I'm, I just, I, sometimes you just don't know. I mean, surely you've walked with the Lord long enough now that you've been in a situation and you've just found somebody you can trust to say, I really don't know if this is God, me, or the devil. I, I don't know what's happening right now. Have you ever been like that? Or am I the only heretic in the room? <laughs> I've been in, in troubled circumstances where I'd say, I don't know if this is the Lord trying to grow me, the devil trying to kill me, or if me just reaping what I sowed because I made a carnal decision. Sometimes you just don't know, but ultimately... When you find yourself in the trouble, if you can begin to turn that thing inside out and you say, well, it, it's not going away apparently, how can I use it for her sake? How can I use it for his sake? How can I use it for their sake? Paul said, it's for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, there's something about a person responding properly to suffering that is an avenue of grace through that person into the lives of other people. We don't think about that a lot while we're praying, Lord, make it go away. And listen, I still pray that. I got junk that I don't like that touches our lives, my family. I don't like it. And until God says, never pray about that again, I'll just keep praying, knocking on the door, saying, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. But in the meantime, I can't put my praise on halt. I can't give up. I can't, I, if I'm cast down or knocked down, I don't want to get knocked out. And it increases to thanksgiving. In other words, an appropriate response to suffering will not only increase your thanksgiving as you recognize what a glorious treasure you have inside of this frail pot, but other people will start watching and they'll see how you've responded in honor unto the Lord in the midst of, of trouble and struggling. And they're saying, Man, I just, God, I thank you for what you're doing for her. I thank you for what you've done for them. And Lord, I thank you that you can do that in me in the midst of my trial it looks different than hers or his, but it's my trial, and I want to thank you that, that you're going to help me. And so it's, it's an expansion of a gratitude. Uh, we could use that, by the way, in this generation of, of I demand my rights. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I haven't said it in a few years. I used to hang with a friend in my pre-conversion days, a guy named Dwayne. And he's seven or eight years older than me, and I, we never had anything because we were a bunch of savages living to the flesh and we spent all our money on profitable things. Somebody'd show up with something we want and we'd be like, hey man, give me that. And I'll never forget his standard response was, gimme got shot. That's what he'd always say to me. In other words, there ain't no gimme, but we live in a gimme generation instead of a grateful generation. It needs to increase and ultimately, according to Paul, I think they'll throw this up on the screen, according to Paul, when we dethrone our senses and respond in faith, one, it benefits others, two, it spreads grace, three, it increases gratitude, and four, it glorifies God. You got to cross the threshold for that to happen in your life. I mean, who wouldn't, if I asked you today before I ever gave this message, hey, how'd you like to be a benefit to others? You'd say yes. How'd you like to be someone through whom God spreads grace? You'd say, come on. How'd you like to increase in your gratitude and help others increase in their gratitude? You say, yeah, come on, man. How would you like to glorify God? You'd say, bring it. And then I'd say, but you've got to come as a clay pot and you're going to have some broken pieces. But I, I don't want you to worry. Even a broken pot, God can still fill with his treasure. And so let's get down to the last three verses, the only ones we read when we stood earlier today, and I'll be done. How to respond while being stretched, because you're going to be. You're going to be. Most of you already are being stretched in some places in life, and it's just not going to end until, you know, we're delivered completely from this world. And so until then, we've got to be big boys and big girls. And we've got to say, this is just part of life. There is no escaping the reality of it, but there is overcoming it. And overcoming it doesn't mean it goes away. 
that God wants you to learn how He will overcome through you. So watch this. First of all, we press on. It doesn't sound that spiritual, but a, a lot of folks need this. We do not lose heart. If you'll go back up into verse 1 of this chapter, which we didn't cover, it's the first thing Paul said. We don't lose heart. King James says we don't faint. We don't lose heart. Listen, it it doesn't even sound like biblical counsel, except it is. We don't quit, Christians. We don't quit. It doesn't mean things don't change and you don't go through one door and close another. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying we don't lose heart. We don't fall down and refuse to get back up. We don't label ourselves when we sense a wrongdoing. We don't, we don't buy a t-shirt that says victim across the front and wear that the rest of our days. We don't do that. You say, well, Jeff, I, don't, I got hurt the last time I tried A, B, or C. Well, that's, that's part of life. I love you. Let, let's walk together as Christians, and, and maybe those same things won't happen again, but we, we don't lose heart. We don't quit. We don't faint. Some of you that perhaps are watching on live stream right now, I almost never address the live stream audience, but some of you, not, not all of you, but are, you're, you're at home because you got burned in church. And so now you get what you need through a, a communication broadcast, but you're also insulated and preserved that nobody's going to hurt you again. It happens with people in, that are sitting in here. You're like, well, I'm, I'm here, but I ain't getting involved. Last time I tried to do something, I got hurt. And I, I get all of that. That does happen. We'd be lying to say that as Christians, we, we don't hurt each other. James wrote 2,000 years ago, you bite and devour each other. You're fighting with each other. I mean, this is not new stuff when that happens. But I, li- I like Paul's counsel here. Paul had experienced all that. And he says, yeah, don't, don't, don't lose your heart on this thing. Don't lose who you are in Christ. Don't quit. Don't faint. Don't give up. Don't draw back. We press on. And you press on in the area of your greatest resistance. I I often think this, that the reason why the enemy fights a person so hard, a Christian so hard in one area, is because the enemy has been watching human nature for thousands of years, and he knows when somebody is a potential threat to his domain in an area. So he will fight you before you even know that you're gifted in that area. And he wants to prevent you from ever getting to that area. But should you get to that area of God's blessing, he will doubly fight you. So in hopes that you will quit and never be a threat to his domain again. Some of you may have given up in an area where God wants to greatly use you. And so the devil saw that and he says, I got to fight this dude twice as hard so that he never gets to that strength again. Then we fully embrace realities. Look in verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I love my Bible. My Bible tells me the truth. Here's what it's saying. There's two components here. One reality, your outer self is wasting away. Um, My dad commented, I posted this verse on Monday, my dad commented online. He said, Jeff, when I was a young man, I would say amen to that, but now as an older man, I'm living it. He he says, "The, the body just doesn't cooperate when you hit your 70s. And uh, it's a messy deconstruction, friends. It's a messy deconstruction. Your outer self, it's not just speaking of the physical, but it's talking about the outer life. Sometimes it's the strength of your finances that were booming in the 90s and are gone now. Sometimes it could be uh, the vitality of raising children and now you're an empty nester and you don't know what to do. Sometimes it is the, the sense of purpose and mission and power and where you were once the person that was called and once the person that was emailed regularly and once the person that was invited and now those things have trickled away and your sense of being needed is gone and, and the outer life wastes away. It just doesn't continue forever. And I'm glad my Bible tells me that. You know why? Because it keeps me from trying to hold on to things that I can't hold on to. And then it says this, the happier side of the equation is that in that reality of the outer self wasting away, there is the possibility of the inner self being renewed day by day. And so when God is intensifying your awareness of just what a clay pot you actually are, don't struggle on trying to preserve your reputation as a non-clay pot. You're a clay pot. You're a clay pot and so is everybody around you and we walk around trying to pretend that we're not clay pots. And, and, and so the beauty of it is, is if you'll recognize, just give in. I'm a clay pot. You know, maybe you're not the most beautiful. 
That's okay. I don't know who she is. Somewhere there's probably the most beautiful person, and none of us know her. We know a lot of people that think they're her, but we don't know who she is. Amen. (laughs) You're not the most successful. That's okay. If you'll focus on the inward, and you will drive all of that obsession of your soul to the inward, and the renewing there, that is where we cross thresholds and go places with Jesus that we never do when we're trying to hold all the cracks together in the clay pot. Your outer self is wasting away, but your inner self is being renewed day by day. That's hope. By the way, it's day by day, and it never stops, and that's why we don't always sense it, because it's sometimes micro. It's micro-renewal. And that's why you can look back where you were 10 years ago, and hopefully you see growth. You didn't know you were growing at the time. My son is wearing my shoes. (laughs) He's 11. He came in the other day. We had just bought him shoes, man. I mean, I found this great deal on shoes. He came in, and it looks like the Hulk. You remember when the Incredible Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, would turn into the green machine, and he'd bust his shoes, and Landon's toes are all curled up? And I was like, boy, what's happening to you? He's like, my, my feet are too big. And I thought, well, I mean, he's 11. I don't have that big of feet, but maybe he can wear my shoes. He's walking around in my Converse high tops that I only wore twice. You know, we got a wild hair. I thought, I'm going to identify with my kids. And when I got a pair of Converse high tops a year ago and uh, felt like an idiot wearing them, so I quit wearing them. <laughs> but my, they fit my son. So what's the point? Well, I'm not watching Landon's feet just go, it doesn't work that way. But over time, there's growth. And then when, when what you're in is too, no longer sufficient to hold you, you realize, I've outgrown this thing, man. I'm, I'm growing. But you don't see it in the moment. And when you're suffering, you don't see it. When you're struggling, you don't see it. It's only when you look back and you say, man, what I've learned. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't let me lose heart. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't let me quit. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't let me give, give in to all of the temptation to withdraw. Why do we do this? Verse 17. I really am almost done. i got two verses left. We retain eternal sp- perspective. This is how you rise above your senses. This is how you know that you're growing in this area. This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, I, I want to be very sensitive here. This is a part that I actually requested prayer from our, uh, our prayer team uh, this morning. We have suffering in my home. My wife suffers with pain 24-7. We, we pray. We, we experience the ebb and flow of relief, but we haven't had the breakthrough yet. We haven't, we haven't held that yet, but we continue to pray. Not only that, you've experienced pain. Some of it's physical, some of it's relational. Some of you have buried people that you love so dearly in recent months, and, and, and that's loss. I am not minimizing the reality of the pain. The Bible doesn't minimize the reality of our pain. The Bible never says, well, you're going to heaven one day, so suck it up and just be a big boy or a big girl. It's not that simplified. The reality is, is that we do hurt and we do suffer, but when we retain an eternal perspective, we can see this bad compared to the good that we are promised and we are walking in and will be fully ours one day. The good makes the current bad appear to be, in perspective, light because we know it's momentary. We know that the suffering will come to an end, but the everlasting glory never will. We know that the the pain and the tears and the loss and the confusion and the perplexity and the heartbreak, that's got an expiration date on it. But the joy and the wisdom and the understanding and the absolute relief and the the beauties that, that... haven't even entered to our mind appropriately what God has prepared for us, because we know that's coming, because we have an eternal perspective, we are able to retain what we should about the current suffering. It means it doesn't define you if you don't let it. Paul, I believe, because of the revelations, because of the encounters he had with the Lord, because of the intimacy he had with Jesus, and by the way, Paul suffered more than most of us ever have, maybe all of us. And um, he had the audacity under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, it's a light momentary affliction. The pain that he experienced, he qualified his own pain, which has been far greater than my pain, as light 
and momentary. Why? Because his vision, he had crossed the threshold in his mind. He realized, oh, what's coming is so gloriously good. And so last verse, we rise above our senses. We do not look to the things that are seen. Or are you? We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The Apostle Paul says, your senses are taking in what you can see. And seeing is not just optically, it's, it's what, you, what you are taking in. It is, it is the data being written on the hard drive of your mind. Worship team, if y'all will come on up. The, the apostle says this, everything you can see is transient. That means it flares up, then it fizzles out. Think about that. Everything you can see. Every single thing you can touch or see or hold or own or experience in this life, it's transient, Paul says. That's not what we're really looking at. That's not what we're really giving ourselves to. And then Paul flips this little switch, this beautiful light, and, and he says, we actually see the things that you can't see. We actually are giving ourselves to the eternal unseen things. I don't have time to unpack this thought, but I'm going to give you something. And this is meant to encourage you. I'm just going to say the way I say things. You don't have a clue how good it's going to be. You, by faith, Lord, I tell you that I am just about 100% ignorant of how good it is going to be. And because of your goodness and your infinite ability to express that goodness. I'm going to look to that which I cannot see, and it's going to drive me and motivate me while I live in a world full of things that I could see. Lord, I'm crossing the threshold not to let my faulty senses tell me who I am. Lord, I'm crossing the threshold to not let my present circumstances of today dictate to me what tomorrow's going to be like. And Lord, for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, my experiences of the past don't have to echo into my tomorrow. I'm just going to leave that there. I'm going to worship you here, and I'm going to trust you tomorrow right there. Move beyond your senses. Watch what the Lord will do.